Getting In is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word products. Just for being a Getting In listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice by going to www.audible.com college. From Slate and Panoply, this is Getting In, a podcast series about the path to college. I'm your host, Julie Lithcott-Hames, and on today's episode, Getting In expert Josh Steckel is back to answer more of your great questions. Josh is the college counselor at the Brooklyn School for Collaborative Studies, and he's also the author of a lovely book, Hold Fast to Dreams, which follows low-income and first-generation students on the path to and through college. Welcome back, Josh. It's great to be back, Julie. Okay, so we're going to get started today with some listener updates. Remember Erin, the mom whose military family was stationed in East Asia? Well, she sent us this voicemail. Hi, this is Erin calling from East Asia. I'm calling to follow up on a question that I asked a few weeks ago about my son and what was the best way to go about requesting a deferment so that he could take a gap year. And I just wanted to let you know that he sent an email to his admissions contact and explained the situation, and she immediately wrote back and said she thought it was a great idea, and she's excited that he's going to come to the school a year from now, and she's excited for him to have this opportunity to move to mainland China and study Mandarin in an immersion setting. So now my son Jack will be able to take his gap year and move with us, and he will spend his year learning the language and applying for more scholarships. So thanks a lot for your guidance. Keep up the great work. What a great update, Erin. Thanks so much for following up and letting us know what happened with Jack and that important question he needed to ask related to your family's move to a different country, right, as he's poised on the verge of starting his college experience. Also want to give a shout-out to our expert, Park Muth, who gave you that sound advice. Good luck with your family's move to China. Jack, hope you have a great gap year. We also got this letter from Kim Koning in Michigan. Kim's the mom that I actually referenced in the last show, who was thrilled that August, one of our Getting In Seniors August, had been admitted to Willamette because Kim went to Willamette and had really wonderful things to say about it. So here we've got Kim writing in again. She's heard the podcast's recent conversation about community service and had this to add. Here in West Michigan, where we live, the students certainly have pressure to achieve, but very few students approach their choices of activities, community service, uh, et cetera, with an eye to college admissions. We probably did my daughter's application a disservice since she did not even put all her community service on her application. None of her mission trips, including one to India, appeared. She focused on her regular activities, not a one-time trip to India. I spoke to another mom whose son applied to a number of Ivy League schools. Her son has volunteered weekly with children in a nearby community where poverty is endemic and children crave attention. He does not volunteer because it will look good. He volunteers because it is who he is. Maybe our children will not get into highly selective universities to which they have applied, but we are far more concerned about the people our children have become and are becoming than whether or not they enter one of these schools. Whether or not the selective schools value these activities, we as parents must raise children to become the adults we desire them to be, ones that serve, care, and love, not ones that feel selfishly entitled. That may mean setting aside prestige, but I believe we will end up with a better community and country as a result. Kim, I am sitting here listening to your email just saying yes, 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 yes. 
As a parent, I am so there with you. And I know in our hearts, every parent believes this. We must raise children to become the adults that we desire them to be, who serve and care and love, not ones who feel selfishly entitled. We have to be concerned about who our children have become and are becoming, not whether they enter one of these most highly selective schools. It's such a beautiful statement. And I think if we can allow ourselves to sit with that message from Kim, let it remind us of what our values actually are. It can actually ground us as we, the parents, walk alongside our kids as they go through this crazy, crazy process of college admission. Let's keep Kim's words in mind. I'm going to keep Kim's words in my mind as I continue to be alongside my son and then a few years later, my daughter in this process. Such beautiful words, Kim. Thank you for sharing them. Josh, let me not go on and on. What were your (laughs) thoughts when you heard her? I love it. I mean, I think that We'll be doing things right in this process when going through the process doesn't pull kids away from who they are. Yeah, I think this process will work best when it enables young people to work on continuing to become, you know, the best version of themselves. Yeah. Okay, Josh. So last week, you and I talked a lot about financial aid. But, you know, we didn't bring up ROTC or R-O-T-C. ROTC is the Reserve Officer Training Corps. It's an opportunity to go to college and be funded in part by the military. And also, at the end, you emerge with a college degree, but you're also an officer in one of the branches of the military. It's a great way for people to pursue college and afford college and come out with lovely preparation for a wonderful career, if that's the sort of thing they're interested in. Here's a voicemail from Mirella in Connecticut with a question about it. Mirella from Connecticut. Hi, I have a son. He's a freshman in high school in a pretty competitive high school in Connecticut. He's getting uh, B's and C's in high honors classes. My question is about the ROTC program. He expressed interest in joining the Army, but I'm trying to sway him towards doing at least an ROTC program. And my specific question is in regards to how these programs work. Are they merely funding and paying tuition for the kids who join the program who have been accepted just as any other regular applicant, or do ROTC programs have assigned spots, and is there a different getting in process? Uh, Thank you very much. Josh, I want you to speak to the question she posed, and then I want to go back to, I think, something else that's implicit in the question. So first, what do you think about, how do you respond to this question about how the ROTC admission piece works? Typically, students express interest in joining ROTC once they're on campus. And so there there aren't, uh, I think what the listener is asking is, what Maria is asking is if there are set-aside spots uh, for students who have an interest in ROTC. And that that is not the case. And I, I think that the other really important piece of information is understanding that, first, that the ROTC program is not available on all campuses. And so if uh, if Mirella wants to do further research, uh, she should figure out first what branch of the armed services she wants to explore with her son. There are ROTC programs for the Army, for the, for the Air Force, et cetera, uh, on different campuses. And then to make sure that uh, she she's identified those campuses where the program actually exists. 
students who participate in the ROTC program in order to take advantage of the, the full funding potential do need to make a commitment to serve after they graduate. And that's another really important point for her to be aware of. The, the funding piece in ROTC is tied to that service commitment after graduation, and that's that's a critical understanding piece there. You know, I was wondering if embedded in Morella's question is this disconnect between her son and the courses he's taking between her son and herself. Here's what I was hearing. He's getting B's and C's in high honors classes. My first thought was, might those classes be uh, too challenging for him? Might he not be better off uh, one level down or one track down, whatever you call it, in that in that particular school district, where he can be challenged and stretched but not overwhelmed and feel a, you know, a greater sense of accomplishment? It may be, she says, he's expressed interest in joining the Army. I'm trying to sway him towards at least ROTC, which is essentially be in the military but also be be in college. I'm hearing mom say, no, 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 college is still there for you. Let's compromise with ROTC. Kid is saying, I think I'm going to join the Army. Maybe that's in part because he's um, getting B's and C's and not feeling that he's going to have college options that he wants available to him. I'm sure he's also genuinely interested in the Army. Who knows? But but to that question of, is he placed in the right classes in his high school? You know, there's nothing horrible about B's and C's, but if it's if it's if a kid is sort of mismatched, if the if the kid might be better off not in the high honors class but elsewhere, um, and perhaps um, getting higher grades, is that a reasonable choice to make? Yes. <laughs> Look, I, I talk to lots of kids who speak to me about wanting to to join the military, and I think that. Um, you know, that's an incredibly important and noble kind of service. I do think that, that many young people think of the military as, as the thing that kids who don't do well in school do. And I think that I think that's false. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's also the case that often when students find ways to feel highly engaged in school and, and more highly engaged with their education, um, they may be able to make a more accurate self-assessment about where they see themselves going. And, you know, part of part of the listener's question is also about like, well, if he does ROTC, will that give him a better shot of getting into certain colleges? And and so, you know, I think that you're right, Julie, to to zoom in on, you know, the issue here. Right. What are the ways to help this young person feel uh, more engaged by and more successful in uh, in his school setting? And I think that uh, if if the issue here is that indeed he's feeling really unsuccessful and really disconnected from his education, um, then yes, like thinking about taking different kinds of classes is is an important adjustment. Yeah. As you've said, if the Army is what he wants, more power to him. We'll applaud that choice for sure. But let's let it be a choice rather than a, hmm, I'm not doing well. I guess I'll join the Army. Let's join the Army intentionally because that's the right place for you. And it's what you want to do, not because you've been somehow dissuaded from other choices because you're in a few too many high honors classes. All right. A few weeks ago, Amy Young, another getting an expert, stressed that now is the time for juniors to be serious about building a strong course load for their senior year. It's her sense is like it's it's now or never, guys. If you haven't put your best foot forward thus far, now's the time. And I loved it that she said this because a lot of kids haven't put their best foot forward yet. And um, I think it gave kids a lot of reassurance that there's still time, but the time is now. And of course, listeners know I'm the mother of a junior. So every time anyone mentions anything about juniors, I'm listening. Well, listeners are concerned about this issue too. We heard from a listener named Nicole who wrote us this email. When a student has met all of their requirements and has already taken six AP classes total over sophomore and junior year, I'm wondering what would look best to a college for senior year. 
take additional advanced classes to make a full class school day, take the minimum requirements, then leave early to work at a job, or take the minimum requirements, then stay at school to be a teacher's aide in my son's area of interest. Ooh, three exciting options here presented by this parent. Josh, what's your gut reaction here? My gut is that this is this is hard. It's wonderful that this young person has, has already taken six AP classes. You know, the answer is that colleges that are more selective expect students to do more than the minimum requirements. That's the bottom line. Uh, the straight-up answer is that the student should continue to uh, take courses uh, in which he is challenged uh, that continue to prepare him to do higher-level work when he uh, begins his college education. The reason that I have a gut check on that is that I love the idea of a student being able to take advantage of opportunities during senior year to do things that they feel really excited about and engaged by. And so I, I, I want to encourage this mom to, to think about ways that that, that can happen within the context of, you know, of a, of a traditional course load without, I hope, driving her son crazy. That's the challenge. But the bottom line is that colleges that are more selective are expecting students to do more than the minimum requirements for graduation. Of course, this mom's kid has already taken six AP classes, which is hardly a minimum requirement. But I hear what you're saying. True. You know, I'm going to give a slightly different take on this. And it gets back to that old saw, that old thing I just continue to say, which is what does the student want? What is the authentic embodiment of that student's self and interests? There are all kinds of reasons why any one of these options would be the quote-unquote right option. Working a job is extremely valuable. Colleges these days are saying, you know what, particularly the highly selective ones, hardly any of our applicants seem to have held a part-time job. Instead, you know, they're so enriched academically, but have they ever held a broom? Do they know what it's like to work for a manager who's not motivated by love? I hear from college admissions deans that they actually love it when they read essays about part-time work. Now, for kids who are poor and working class and are listening, they're like, yeah, how nice. Wealthy kids get the option of having to work or getting to do more in school. You know, all I'm saying is that those part-time jobs are wonderful locations for a story that ends up in your personal essay for college, regardless of who you are. Don't shy away from work. Lean toward work. The skills that you get from holding a part-time job are irreplaceable. There's no academic equivalent of that. And I think more and more colleges are saying we really value young adults who have actually held a part-time job and all the lessons that are learned in the maturity that's gained and the humility that comes from working a part-time job, usually for minimum wage. The third option here, take the minimum requirements, then stay at school to be a teacher's aide. My goodness, if that's a teacher your son knows, who knows your son, who's in his corner, who's maybe had him in a class or two or more, you know, that teacher is going to be one of his letter writers when it comes to writing recs for college and deepening that relationship with a teacher, getting to be a teacher's aide or teaching assistant, getting to learn more about the material because you've worked for that teacher. That's a job as well. It's incredibly valuable, plus it deepens the knowledge in the academic subject. So that could be a huge win-win, but only if the kid loves the class and really has a relationship that I think already is strong with the teacher and they want to deepen it. So I think all kinds of reasons to choose any one of these options. Again, it's got to be what would this kid, not to game the system is my point, not what looks best to colleges, but what is most in furtherance of what your son really knows to be true about himself as a student and as a young man. I'd have him choose that one. 
I can always feel it when I'm on my soapbox. (laughs) (laughs) I'm on my soapbox. You can't see me because this is a podcast, but I'm using my hands to speak. (laughs) All right. And we got this letter from a high school student named Megan. And listen, high school students, we do want to hear directly from you. Megan, thank you for this email. Let's hear from Megan. My name is Megan, and I'm currently midway through my junior year. And I found myself stuck trying to decide between two paths that I can take in terms of senior year classes. I've always had a great interest in both areas of psychology and business or finance, and thankfully, my school offers a variety of classes in both of those career pathways. However, I have not gotten much of a chance to explore either area with my class choices the past three years because I have had a full load of honors and AP classes in the core school subjects. So my question is this. Would colleges rather see an incoming student who consistently takes science, math, social studies, and English classes all four years, or one who branches off into more targeted interests her senior year? I would like to take accounting, one, and AP psychology next year, but these classes would probably cost me the chance to take a fourth year of science. I'm taking AP biology this year and have taken honors biology and honors chemistry in the past. But is it important to admissions officers that I also have a year of physics under my belt, even if it's not necessary for either of my desired career paths? Thank you again, Megan. Josh, what do you think here of Megan's complicated question about what do colleges want to see and what she knows to be true (laughs) about herself? I don't think it's such a complicated question. Okay. What's the right answer? And I think that I'm going to get in trouble with you again, Julie. That's all right. Go ahead. Which is, you know, I, I think that Colleges that are more selective are expecting students to take four years of core coursework in all of the areas that Megan has mentioned. And I think that um, that is especially true about physics, biology, and chemistry. And so what I do want to say that I I think might also be relevant for our last listener question is that it's not always an either-or choice. It's not an all-or-nothing kind of thing. There are small adjustments that this student might make in thinking about her course load for next year that can do some of both. In other words, I'm not sure that the student needs to choose to take both AP Psych and Accounting. She could take one of those courses, possibly, and and also continue with four years of study in those four core areas. You know, it is a, it's a hard thing, and it's one of the hard things about the way that this process works is that colleges are rather rigid about how they assess the level of rigor of a student's course load. And, and one of the ways they do is you know, do you have four years of math and science? And of the of the offered uh, AP or honors classes at your school, how many have you taken? Having said that, you know, it's really, uh, Megan sounds like a really appealing person. And I, I love that she's, she's thinking hard about these things. And I, I would love to, I'd love to suggest to her that maybe she think about, well, is there a way for me to do a little bit of both so that I can, I can make myself feel good about that and also know that I'm, I'm doing the things that I need to do to uh, to continue to be competitive. You know, there's a clear answer when it comes to what does the system want. The system, as you've said, wants yep. her to take the fourth year of science. And if she can't also take her two choices, accounting and AP psychology, because she has that fourth year of science, then the system would say take AP psych because it's an AP, period. <laughs> Fine. That's what the system wants. And, you know, more power to those who are trying to do what the system wants. But I'm here to tell you I've sat with young adults unfolding into their adult selves in the college context, desperate to stop deferring getting to be themselves because they're so bought into what the system wants. So I'm out here on my soapbox with my hands waving in the air, advocating for Megan to ask herself, which class am I really going to feel 
is challenging me in ways I want to be challenged and I'm going to enjoy. You have the right to enjoy high school, and I hope you are. And I would say make the choice based on what makes my spirit soar and my heart sing. And I know plenty of people are going to roll their eyes as I say it, and I don't care because I am really interested in each one of us studying what we're interested in, pursuing the options and opportunities that matter to us. And if some highly selective school thinks you should have had, you know, one class that you didn't have, you know what? To heck with them. You're going to go to a great college and you're going to thrive there and you're actually going to be on the path to thriving earlier because you've already had the guts to study what you love. All right, people. You probably had enough <laughs> hearing from me. <laughs> oh, you're great, Josh. Julie. Hey, and I was not arguing with you or taking you on. Oh, I not think, at all. I think you're Julie, absolutely you're right. Awesome. That that's, that's, you're, <laughs> no, Josh, you're awesome. And our <laughs> listeners are awesome, too, particularly Megan and the other students who, who write in or call in and let us hear their questions and their choices and their decisions. All right, Josh, as always, it is such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Oh, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. Say hello to Jonathan for me. <laughs> I will. And listeners, we love hearing from you. As you can tell, I hope you can find us on Twitter. Tweet us at gettinginpod. That's all one word, gettinginpod. Please keep sending us your voice memos and emails, too. Our email address is gettingin@slate.com. And there's always our hotline where you can leave a voicemail. That number is 929-999-4353. And please, please, please leave us a comment on iTunes because it helps other people discover our show. Getting In is a production of Slate and Panoply Media. Michelle Siegel is our producer. Our executive producer is Laura Mayer. And Panoply's chief content officer is Andy Bowers. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Julie Lithcott-Hames. And remember, it's not just about getting in to one of those most highly selective schools. It's about finding the right fit and, dare I say, being yourself once you get there. Getting In is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible has more than 180,000 audiobooks. You can download them and access them on a bunch of different devices, on iPhones, Android, Kindle, or pretty much any other MP3 player. One book to try out from Audible is Inventology, How We Dream Up Things That Change the World. Author Pagan Kennedy uses the stories of inventors who made everything from sippy cups to cell phones to reveal the steps that produce innovation. If you want to listen to Inventology or many other books, Audible has it. With more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word products, you'll find what you're looking for. Get a free audiobook and 30-day trial today by signing up at www.audible.com college.